Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are in episode 112. Uh, my name is Tyler. Of course, as always, we're with Pratik and Nick. Uh, but we're going to be kicking it off right away with Nick hopping into the first story. Yeah, so the main story of the day has been that more classified documents uh, were found at Biden's Wilmington home in his garage. Now, the White House confirmed this and said that it, they're from his time as vice president. So Pratik and Tyler, after all the stuff that happened with Trump, what is your take on Biden having these documents? They were also in one of his offices while he was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And now they end up in his home. So so what's the deal? What's your take? I know Pratik has a lot to say about this. I just have, have a few points to make. So let, I'll go first and then I know you're going to kill this. But look, we talk about hypocrisy. This is just hypocrisy on the next level. The Democrats have been using the fact that Trump got raided as, you know, the fact that he was guilty of something when, in fact, nothing came out of it. And now the exact same thing's happening to Biden. With Biden, he said these documents were forgotten about. They were put away and unimportant. But you're the sitting president of the United States. And if you weren't, you lose security clearance over situations like this, which is what, have, what would have happened to almost anyone else in this position. Um, but now the Democrats cannot use this as part of their firing power against Trump in the upcoming elections, given that uh, Biden had done the exact same thing. Now, do I think it's that bad? Do I think he was hoarding documents that were going to enrich him or his family somehow? No, I don't believe that. Maybe they were misplaced, but it really comes down to the hypocrisy and the fact that this must be a really common thing. I'm sure these aren't the only two top officials that have classified documents in hand. And like, this is a trend we've seen among these guys. So clearly the Trump situation wasn't as bad as we thought. This is being downplayed by the media like it was absolutely nothing when it might be, but you didn't do that when Trump happened. Again, pointing to that hypocrisy. Pratik, what are your thoughts on this? So obviously, um, you guys know what I'm going to say. The main thing is that whenever it happened with the Republicans, it's like they go out of their way to try to prove that he's guilty, even though they don't have enough evidence to even prove anything. They continue to do all these like witch hunts that they call them, but they're not they're not witch hunts in terms of political correctness because they're trying to do the right thing and trying to show that, you know, if he has committed a violation that we should know all about it and we're going to do whatever it takes to find out as much information as possible. That's usually the Trump narrative on what they do. But the irony here is that the same way I talked about how the Democrats have gone after Trump time and time again, and some in some cases they went a little bit overboard too because if they're worried that Trump is going to be the next Republican candidate, the fact is that Ron DeSantis is giving him a run for his money, but because of all the investigations that they keep doing on Trump, it keeps him in the news, it keeps him in the limelight, and obviously in the end of the day it's going to be between the two Republican candidates. Ron DeSantis and Trump, if DeSantis declares. And DeSantis may have had an advantage, but because the Dems keep bringing back up Trump, he remains in the limelight. Now, in this situation, the same way, my same criticism back then, is the Attorney General works for the President of the United States. Whether or not we like to hear that or we don't like to hear that, the fact is that the Attorney General leads the Department of Justice. Everything that the DOJ does, everything that they investigate, everything that um, in terms of what their agenda of what they want to do, it all starts with the Attorney General. And the Attorney General is can be replaced at the helm or the will of the President. That's the point of the Attorney General. Now, obviously, with the lawyers and all that stuff, I can't say that it's like X equals Y and Y because of Y, Z happens. It's just the fact that that's an important thing to know. So now with Merrick Garland investigating Joe Biden, the fact He's is... He's not. 
Well, his, Critique, they have not, a special prosecutor. It's a Trump yeah, appointee. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. But I mean, my point is though, when it comes deals with any of that stuff, it's always going to be somewhat downplayed compared to what it could be. And because this happens to be a member of their same party, obviously the lawyer and all that stuff, that's different. But the Department of Justice is still currently handled by the Democratic administration. Whether or not we want to look at it in a certain way or another, that's the fact of what it is. So in terms of all that stuff, we do need to investigate this and see what, what it means. But the fact is that all of these things are political to some extent. And if there is certain secrets that are being hidden, if there is certain stuff that is happening that shouldn't be happening, the fact is that we should know about it as citizens, but there's always some political involvement and some political influence that happens that is going to deter us from knowing the entire facts and details of everything going on. Now, with Trump, the weird thing about Trump is they went after him more than they've gone after various presidents in the past that have done sketchy things. There were sketchy things that happened during Obama's administration involving what was going on with Ukraine and them dealing with dealing certain things in Ukraine, especially the uranium scandal stuff. Same stuff did exist during the Bush administration when it dealt with Iraq and what was going on over there. The same existence also included with everything that Bill Clinton did. He had all kinds of scandals, but even though majority of his scandals were personal scandals, a lot of stuff was still covered up. Now, with Trump, he had a different treatment compared to a lot of the other previous presidents have had, and that may have been because Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Now, I'm not going to like, you know, talk about, you know, I'm not going to like defend him on a lot, any of the stuff that he did. My argument is that Trump got treated at a different level, where even something like a January 6th probe that's still going on that has been two years, he's already been declared guilty before they found any evidence to prove that he's guilty. And they still haven't found evidence, otherwise he would have known about it. And in this situation, back to the Biden story, I just feel that if there is certain things that is being hidden, if Biden has done something wrong, the same way that they should give the same Hunter Biden and all that stuff more credence, because had that been any other president, it probably would have been more credence given to it. I think the same logic should apply to these Joe Biden stories, these documents that they found. And I just want that if, if whatever the precedent that they've set with Donald Trump, I think that same precedent should exist with Joe Biden, whether or not he's the current president of the United States or not. Do you do you think they would have raided Biden had they known about these documents? I don't think they would have. And not. again, I think that's a clear indication of the bias here. But it might also have to do with the fact that he's a sitting president. Can you imagine a sitting president be raided by the FBI if it weren't to inevitably impeach Whoa. him over something? Because it seems like these documents are somewhat innocuous. But as you had mentioned, we don't actually know what's in them. You could say that happened with Trump. It wasn't to the same extent as what's what happened in Mar-a-Lago, but they were investigating him. There was like, you know, certain in certain law enforcement and legal, you know, teams coming in doing certain things whenever Trump was in office. There was investigations going on primarily with the Russia hoax, which obviously, you know, everybody downplays the Russia thing, but the Russia thing was pretty similar to the 2020 stuff if this about lying about whether, you know, Trump won and didn't win whether it was all that stuff, the same stuff kind of existed in 2016. Just the storyline was different. Democrats are better at selling their story and people believe Democrat stories more than Republicans. But in this situation, I just think that that stuff did happen whenever Donald Trump was president. Previously, before Donald Trump, that stuff really didn't happen. 
that was the whole situation with every scandal that any president has had, whether or not we go back to the JFK days, whether we go back to the Ronald Reagan days, Bill Clinton days, there was a lot of scandals that did take place during those time periods, but it was always covered up because the FBI, the CIA, all the DOJ, all those big institutions are somewhat there to protect the president and help the president in order to initiate what he wants to initiate. And some of the stuff that comes with that is all the stuff that we will never know in terms of concrete evidence, whether or not they're spying for the president, whether or not they're covering things up for the president, and whether or not it's a Republican or a Democrat, that's not my point here. My point is that now maybe we have this thing where because we've done certain things to Trump that has broken precedent, where we have gone after Trump in every which way, because there have been stories that Trump has been tied to, but Democrats, and not only Democrats, just the government, has done more things to hold him to another standard, hold him accountable, and be transparent about things. I think with Democrats, because that happened with Trump, now that has to be the precedent with every president going forward. Because now if the argument is that Donald Trump was the one that, you know, they did treat to much more intense, you know, in terms of accountability, now that has to happen with Joe Biden and every president that follows him. Whether or not he's a sitting president, whether or not people like the president or don't like the president, now that you did it to Trump, it has to, the same precedent has to exist with every future president that ha- exists in the United States. That's a good thing. Yeah. I think more accountability is a good thing. Maybe the internet age is expediting that. It's speeding up the fact that they have to be up, up front with what's going on because information is available to everyone now. They can't control it like they used to. Nick, what, what, what's your take on this? All right. So obviously what Biden did was irresponsible. It's a bad look. Shouldn't have happened. I do take, I would disagree with the whole rating thing. The reason why Trump's compound at Mar-a-Lago was rated is because he refused to cooperate with the records request saying, we know they knew he had the documents and they asked for them back and he wouldn't give them back. So that's obviously an issue. So I think it's a little worse, but that doesn't excuse Biden's behavior here. He should never have had the documents in the first place. Doesn't matter if someone was asking for them or not. You know, no one should be lording over an ex-president or ex-vice president to say, hey, look, you're mishandling classified materials. Give it back to us. I mean, unfortunately, that's how it got with Trump. They asked him. He denied it and didn't play ball. I mean, with Biden, he paints himself as anti-Trump, and he would never stoop to that level of just being totally inept and an asshole. So it's like, if, if that's your image, and then you're found to have misplaced these documents and mishandled them and just have them in your garage, like of all the places, like really, you didn't know about them? They're in your garage. Like, it, it's, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a hard sell and hard spin that the Democrats are trying to do. I do agree that what Trump did was worse, but that doesn't excuse what Biden did in any way. I and I think it means that neither side can really use it against one another. I mean, I think Trump so can too. always point towards bias against himself. He'll say that these were just fraudulent investigations outright. But the fact that, but it also shows Biden's incompetence. It's like you look uh, for as we call him old all the time. He forgets things constantly. Well, guess what? You can't just forget about classified secret documents you'll leave in your garage. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. And to some degree, being the sitting president, at least in my eyes, makes it a little bit worse. Oh, absolutely. Not, not that I not that I think Trump's more ethical or anything like that. Oh, definitely the situation not. he's in, if someone were to go into his garage and find these documents, we could be in some serious problems. I don't think so. they'd find anything in the, that man's garage. But in any case, and- for McCarthy, he said that he thinks Congress should investigate what's going on with Biden and said that he didn't see any difference between the two situations. Like, 
I can say McCarthy's wrong on that. There is a difference. But again, fundamentally, like you guys were saying, it's the same core point. Mm-hmm. And Republican voters are going to see it as the same situation and I think are going to see it thing. as hypocritical. I'm see, I don't. Voter. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, I don't critique. I don't, I still think, I don't it's bad. think there's anything. But, 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 but Nick, it's close enough, right? It's close enough that you could see that the public might go, all right, they both did. Oh, 100%. Like, public relations, eye, you know, it's like, like it, it's... It's terrible. It completely torpedoes the argument that Trump yeah. is uniquely bad. It's like, well, Biden gives Trump the a same boost, thing. actually. And yeah. see, my my argument always is is that now Trump is a has been, but he's still the boogeyman of the Democrats. They love talking about Trump. They love finding things about Trump. They love investigating old things he did. They like bringing up old stories that they haven't found any evidence on and continue to harp on it until they're gonna beat it to death. Until probably Trump becomes the nominee of the Republican Party, and. I just have this problem when any of this stuff happens is just like whenever this happens with one side, there's always a storyline behind it. Like, oh, wow, look at what Trump did. Look at how bad he is, all this other stuff. But when it happens, when Joe Biden does sketchy things and Joe Biden has also done sketchy things, then it's just like blanketed. It's a little bit better than when it was in the Obama days, because if you disagreed with Obama on something he did and if Obama did some sketchy stuff, well, if you were against it, then you were automatically a racist person. But at least that doesn't exist anymore, where Biden is like given some criticism because half his own party doesn't like the guy. But the fact is with Biden is just that just like Trump, these two people are the most prominent and most prestigious people in those parties. Now, Ron DeSantis may beat Trump. I don't know. Trump, Ron DeSantis still hasn't declared and Trump is still winning when it's multiple candidates in any single poll. But in terms of polling data and in terms of what is the future of these parties, more than Donald Trump even, Joe Biden is the future, is the present, and will probably be the future's future if they can't get anything resolved on what they want to do in that party. So in terms of all that stuff, Joe Biden is still there for another four years. I mean, if Democrats were to win the next presidential election. Looking at the polling data and looking how stuff is going, I think Biden is the clear, clear nominee for president if he decides to run. Because there's no one even close to being able to potentially throw Biden off. And plus, he's an incumbent. So he's probably already has an 85% chance more than everybody else anyway, because he's the incumbent sitting president. And usually incumbents don't get primaried. So I just wanted to bring that in there because people that are like looking at the story are looking at, well, well, Biden's already halfway done. I mean, he's probably not going to have much more years to go. He's not going to do any more. So we just need to let the story aside because it's not that big of a deal. Oh, well, well, look at Trump. On the other hand, he may run again and may become president and may have another four years. I just think that if you look at Trump from whatever angle you look at, you have to look at Biden in the same exact angle because if Trump may be the future of the Republican Party again, Biden is the current and the potential future of the Democratic Party. And Biden is still currently president for the next two years. And if he wins again, he'll be president for another four. I just think that we have to quit making excuses for Joe Biden because at this point, Joe Biden is the face of the party. And if he does stupid things, if he says stupid things, if he gets caught doing stupid things, and in terms of policy, when he enacts and initiates stupid things, well, we should hold him accountable for it. That's all I'm saying. If that's the precedent that everybody set with Trump, well, the same thing should exist with Joe Biden. 
Look, we're, we're talking about the, the leadership on the presidential level, but in the House, we recently had a big change of leadership going on um, with the House vote. So, Nick, you wanted to take the story? Or critique, rather? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Kevin McCarthy is finally elected as a Speaker of the House. So the U.S. House of Representatives elected GOP leader Kevin McCarthy of California as Speaker in a dramatic 15th vote early Saturday after a contentious four days and 14 failed ballots. The longest the chamber has gone leaderless in a century. In a tense and that was showdown, right before the Civil War, by the way. Yeah. That was the last time this happened. In a tense showdown on the House floor in the middle of the 14th failed vote at around 11 p.m. Eastern Time Friday, McCarthy personally confronted GOP reps Matt Gates of Florida and Lauren Boebert of Colorado despite making numerous concessions to win support from them and other far-right Republicans over the course of the week, they still refused to support McCarthy outright. They instead joined four other Republicans in the 15th and final vote by voting present, which helped him clinch the gavel by reducing the number of votes he needed to get the majority. He won with 216 of 428 possible votes, with four people voting against him, and, the, and apart from the 216 Republicans, everyone else voting for the Democratic option. Democratic guy's name was um, Hakeem Jeffries. So the main story here is just that whenever we deal with this stuff, um, obviously this has never happened before. This is unprecedented. The fact is that when you read all these news stories, it's always about, oh, these never McCarthyers are far right people. Like the news story I just read, it's like, oh wow, these never McCarthy people are the far right people. These Freedom Caucus people, man, they're so far right. Just wanted to bring this in because obviously I am a Republican. I'm looking at it from like my historical um, you know, analysis of me whenever I've been a Republican and how the Tea Party and how the House Freedom Caucus have functioned. Just wanted to lay out a few things. These guys are not far right or far left or moderate. They're a mix of everybody. Inside the House Freedom Caucus or in, and inside the Tea Party, these are people that go against what I argue about. Everyone should get in line. If you don't get in line, then you should be removed from the party. You are only elected because you're a member of the party. So if your party tells you to do something, then you should do it. That's the thing that Freedom Caucus and Tea Party are against. These are people that are free thinkers that wanted to change the system and shake up the system within the Republican Party because they felt the Republican Party isn't doing enough to listen to their constituents and listen to the voters that are putting them in. That's the Tea Party and the Freedom Caucus. Whether or not you're going to have people like Ted Cruz that are far right from the Tea Party or whether or not you're going to have Marco Rubio's and people like that that are more moderate in the Tea Party, that's the Tea Party. So I just wanted to bring that in. So these House Freedom Caucus people, sure, you got people like Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert who have been involved in a lot of sketchy things that they've done. They have scandalous past. But in terms of the McCarthy showdown, McCarthy was one of the most heavily supported people by President or former President Donald Trump. Even before, whenever the whole Speaker of the House situation was going on in the past. Because, Matt, because Paul Ryan was the Speaker of the House. And the reason he became Speaker of the House is because there wasn't enough Republicans that wanted to get on board with Kevin McCarthy. And the people that didn't want to get on board were a mix of different people. But Kevin McCarthy himself isn't, is not like some like far moderate Republican. He also is somewhat right. 
He's one of the most liked Republicans that, you know, has always been favorable towards Donald Trump. He's one of Donald Trump's allies. They have to keep that in mind. If Mitch McConnell isn't a Donald Trump ally, Kevin McCarthy is a Donald Trump ally. So whenever they talk about all this far right stuff, about all these people that are far right, they didn't like him. The reason that they don't like Kevin McCarthy is because Kevin McCarthy is more of a demagogue than most of these other Republican candidates that have been potential speakers have been. He's one of those people that is like, if you don't go my way, then I'm going to shut you out. Hence, the party themselves have had a lot of issues with wanting to get Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker of the House. And he's been a House Majority Leader for many years. He was a House Majority Leader when John Boehner was the Speaker of the House. Then he, got then he became the House Majority Leader again because they didn't want to make him Speaker. So they put Paul Ryan as the Speaker of the House. And then he was House Majority Leader when Nancy Pelosi was there right now, recently. So... Just wanted to bring that in. And the issues that are dealing with the House now is they, they literally, if the lawmakers of the Republican, if the lawmakers themselves want to have a vote to remove the Speaker, they, all they need is a majority because the House Republicans have made it really tight on Kevin McCarthy because a lot of these people, even the people that voted for McCarthy, feel McCarthy is a hardcore demagogue and they don't like him that much. That's the situation. They all got on board to support him because he's been the face of the party. But the problem with McCarthy is McCarthy is a very hardline Republican. So I just wanted to bring that in. Now I want to hear y'all's thoughts. All right. So I was watching a little bit of CNN, a little bit of ABC, you know, kind of looking around while this vote was happening. And some of the people were bringing up, you know, good points. I mean, to be fair to CNN, Jake Tapper was saying, like, look, aren't what some of these, you know, holdouts asking for actually pretty reasonable. For example, three days to 72 hours before a bill gets voted on, you'd have the full text sent over to the members before they vote on it. So you're sort of going away from all these very last minute changes that sort of sneak their way through. And people don't have time to read the full bills. Um, another thing, of course, is the threshold for who gets to vote to oust the Speaker of the House or initiate the vote. Like you were saying, Pratik, you would need a majority. However, historically, it's only been one person initiating it. So if anything, this is just going back to what that historical baseline is on that, which doesn't seem so bad. Another thing is in terms of oversight of um, the different omnibus bills that get pushed through where essentially you have all these different bills packaged into one, and it's always rushed through at the end of the year to avert a government shutdown. And so this uh, very vocal minority on the Republican side is like, hey, no more omnibus bills. I don't know if that's a great idea, just because it's so hard for them to pass legislation in the first place. It's like, are you going to get anything done if that's the case? Like, it's so hard to pass an omnibus bill because there's so much in it. Sure. But at the same time, they struggle to pass ordinary bills all the time. So breaking it up, I just don't buy the argument that that's going to make the process any better and more transparent. It's like the American people, like the average person is not looking up news on the latest congressional bill. Like if it's something that's really big, like when Obama passed the Affordable Care Act, like obviously that's going to make waves. But in terms of like end of the year omnibus bills, like really what what huge splashes have we seen? If anything, the only thing that people really remember from those is that the government shut down and it was a huge mess like that. That's all people remember. I mean, the debt ceiling thing is concerning, obviously, but, you know, they advocated heavily for that, and that's what they got. Same thing with the IRS stuff, which I think we're going to talk about in a little bit, where they just um, had one of their first votes to abolish 
uh, the IRS in its entirety and I think eliminate uh, income tax and instead have a consumption tax. What McCarthy said was instead of adding 87,000 new agents to weaponize the IRS against small business owners in middle America, this bill will eliminate the need for the department entirely by simplifying the tax code with provisions that work for American people and encourage growth and innovation. Um, so yeah, essentially he's trying to get rid of the tax system as is and this seems to be the concession that the Freedom Caucus did get. So we talk about dissenting views, having alternative viewpoints. Well, the people that held out actually did get what they wanted in this bill. Now, is it going to go anywhere? Probably not. But it does signal somewhat where McCarthy's head at and where the rest of the, the future of the political uh, Republican Party is um, in terms of how they're contraring the Democrats. They want to boost the IRS agents and the Republicans are coming out and saying we want to get rid of it altogether. So I think we're going to see more contention. So my thought process in terms of McCarthy is just that whenever he deals with any of this stuff, this actually looks as more of a stain on the Republican Party, like their majority whip Tom Emmers and now their House majority, House majority leader Steve Scalise. All of this stuff looks bad on him more than any of these other people that it took so long to get a speaker of the House. Now, my whole argument, obviously, is usually consistent on this matter. I know there's going to be a lot of Republicans that disagree with me on this matter, too. But it's usually that whenever there's anything that the party wants to do, the only reason that any of these people get elected, whether or not you like these people or you don't like these people, whenever you went to vote, the reason you probably voted for them, 9 out of 10 main reasons, is this is it, is that they are a member of the Republican Party, if you are a Republican. So now, the challenge here that comes in is that because you voted for them and the reason that they won is because they're a member of the Republican Party, that means that these people that are rebellious, they're going out of their way to create more internal strifes within the Republican Party. They're making it harder for the Republican Party to accomplish what the Republican Party wants to do. Now, that's the main key here. Now, obviously, they've done certain things. A lot. The Freedom Caucus has probably modernized the Republican Party more than any other caucus in the history of caucuses in the Republican Party. But the issue with the Republican Party is, is that... Unlike the Democrats, where everybody gets set in line, like apart from Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, you don't hear about many Democrats that vote against the party. You could have people like AOC that are so anti the Democratic Party and what they do, and they're so much more far left. But in the end of the day, they always support the party because they know the only reason that they're elected in the end of the day is because they're a member of the Democratic Party. The Republicans need to understand that too. Now, Obviously, whenever all this stuff is happening with Kevin McCarthy, where if you if you want, if there's enough votes and they can overthrow Kevin McCarthy with a majority, all of that stuff is just making it harder for the Republican Party to do what it wants to do. And whenever they have certain bills, even like this IRS bill, unlike Nick, I'm obviously more for the IRS bill. But my point is that in any of these things that do happen and anything that the Republican Party wants to pass, they need to have they need to have all their members on board with what they want to do. They can all have their opinions. But in the end of the day, it's a team versus team game. There's only two options. All the other options, they're never getting elected in the history of the United States. You got two options, the Republican side and the Democratic side. When the Democratic side is obviously going to contest everything that the Republican side does, the Republican side needs to get on board and make sure all their parties support any agenda or any initiative that the party wants to support. And that's the reason why you support and vote for the Republican Party. 
I just want to make that clear because well, obviously there's issues and holes to my whole theory. All these people have their own individual opinions and they're trying to prove that there's no one man that is more superior than the entire GOP house. That's I don't the think theory. that's what it's about. It's not, it's not about being superior. It's about changing the conversation. For instance, the Freedom Caucus coming up with this bill to abolish the IRS, they introduced something to the conversation that wasn't there before. And had they not gotten this chance, the direction of the Republican Party would not be going in the direction that they found suitable. Hmm. So in my eyes, all they're doing is influencing how Republicans think That's about fair. certain things, and they're getting what they want to get. So I understand ultimately it's a team game. But there's also intra-team tactics in politics, of course, and that's what's going on here. And I, I think that's a valuable part of politics, and I think that's what changes the discussion and the direction of each party, which is also important. But at the same time, you always have to recognize the guys across from the aisle are your biggest enemies. And I think that's really the point you want to emphasize. It's like if you want to win the team game, you get to act as a team. And I, I understand that. But, Nick? But I think it's different in a bicameral legislature because with the Senate, like, obviously, Senate Republicans are more centrist than their House counterparts. They have to be to win their elections. And so when you actually look at what bills are going to be passed from this new Republican Congress, I don't think a bill like the IRS agent one is ever going to go through the Senate. Like, I just don't think there's enough support behind it. Like you were saying, sure, it shifts the conversation, but people have talked about abolishing the IRS for ages. Like, it, it, the fear of God was put into people over the IRS coming in and auditing you for, like, decades. Like, this is not a new thing. Like, people do not like the IRS. They never have. They never will. Now, the funding stuff, that makes sense. But, I mean, this bill where it's like, we're going to completely get rid of income tax and replace it with a consumption tax, which is inherently regressive and is going to screw over poor people the worst. It's like, really? That's going to pass the Senate? I doubt it. Like, I, I just genuinely don't mm. think something like that would actually go through. I don't but think I it's going to pass either. No, but I think and maybe, maybe leadership maybe knows that. Will. Maybe McCarthy could be like, hey, look, the Senate's going to knock yeah. this down, so why not? I'll, I'll play I ball. Think that's the I'm going to be on your team, and this is not going to go anywhere. It, he gets his points, yeah, for sure. It won't win. It won't pass the Senate because Democrats control the Senate. I do think, though, even though it's tight, they control the Senate. There are certain people in the House, in the Republican side and the Democratic side, they're all flaky people. That's the thing. So you don't know. Like Kristen Sinema, Joe yeah, Manchin, Manchin, they're goofballs. Yeah. And on the other hand, we got our people. I mean, like, Romney will. Yeah, yeah, you got Romney's and Lisa Murkowski's and Susan yeah, Collins. Lisa these are all, on the way these are yeah. all unpredictable people. You don't know what they're going to do. So I think the Senate is a little bit goofy. But I will say when it comes to the Republican Party in general, like... Obviously, like, you know, Nick was talking about the consumption tax being more regressive. In the end of the day, the income tax is, I mean, you're never going to solve, never going to make anybody happy with the income tax. The income tax is, the argument is that the rich people don't pay enough taxes. That's why you have an income tax. But the fact is that rich people do pay more taxes than everybody else. And I'll give you reasons to why I'm arguing this. Whenever, look at, and imagine any big luxury car. Imagine a Ferrari. Who are the people buying a Ferrari? Oh, God. Okay, We're going to no, go no. into who makes the Ferrari. No, no, and then, no, no, oh, it's no, no, the no, workers. No, no. You're hurting no, no, the middle no, no, class no, 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 no. by taxing the rich people. Listen to what I'm yeah. saying. I'm not saying you're hurting the middle class by acting the rich. I mean, I believe that. But that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm arguing that in terms of any big, any big luxury, whether it's a Ferrari, whether it's a Rolex, whether it's a Mercedes Benz, whether you're going to shop at Giorgio Armani, all those people, all those different businesses, they all revolve around rich people. Whenever they make any transaction, 
they're getting taxed a lot more than everybody else. There's certain items, specific items that poor people buy and the items that rich people buy are very different. Even though the basic items are the same, rich people are in, in doing much more to help the economy by buying more. That's the thing. When in terms of the American dream, they talk about this American dream, the American dream revolves around consumption. People that are rich are buying more things. They're buying more crap the way they look at it and the way they say it. And if you look at it from another aspect, whenever you do any big transaction, whenever you sell like a billion, when you sell a million dollar building, when you sell a restaurant, hotel, like bar, any big transaction, anything that you do, there's always capital gains tax that is tied to it. So people that are wealthy are constantly paying more taxes. That's a fact. Now, we can argue about the regressiveness or the progressiveness of all this other stuff. But in the end of the day, whether it's a sales tax, property tax, income tax, wealth tax, consumption tax, capital gains tax, corporate tax, you name it. At the end of the day, the biggest people are generally paying much more in taxes than everybody else. And now they talk about all these tax loopholes and all this stuff. But in the end of the day, if you calculate how much taxes that the people that are wealthy are paying, it's constantly and always going to be more than the people that are poor and middle class. Just wanted yep. to bring that up. Not not the arguing critique. or advocating for any tax. I'm just the, saying that that's core in the Republican side. The issue side. with they abolishing the IRS and getting rid of income tax is that then you're going to have to like the entire thing is like, OK, the tax system is too complicated. We need to simplify it. And if you have something just like 100 and other 60 countries have which is a VAT tax, which is a consumption tax. I know we have our own consumption taxes in the United States, but they're not on the same level as the rest of the world. So if you have a VAT tax, for example, you know, you would have to, in order for it not to be super regressive, like you were saying, you're still buying a lot of the same base goods. It's, it's like to combat that, you would end up putting in so many different exemptions. You'd have different adders for luxury goods. You would end up having so many rules that effectively you're recreating in small part some of the same income tax stuff that you're, you know, so opposed to as a party and not fully. So I'll give Republicans credit for that. It wouldn't be the full thing. But still, you're going to have all these different exemptions that just like fundamentally, if you're like, we need to make this as simple as possible. There's no shot of that. That's just not how politics works. Every single congressperson and senator has their own unique constituency and their own population that they're advocating for that is going to have different wants and different needs. It's part of the reason why, for example, you're never going to see ethanol subsidies go away in this country because some farmers in Iowa and Illinois care a lot about ethanol subsidies, <laughs> even though the rest of the country couldn't care less. We could get rid of them tomorrow and be totally fine on energy. But yeah. you know what? There's like 150 plants in the United States that really care about it, and it's never going to go away. But I will say this. So this is actually an important fact in terms of the income tax storyline. So there's eight states that don't have any personal that don't have a personal income tax. These are Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington State, actually, and Wyoming. Now, of all those states, because they don't have any influence on the income tax, what they end up doing generally in all those states is they tend to have much higher property and sales taxes. So they usually do cover up like, you know, you're not there. All these states are not operating at a loss. Florida and Texas are one of the two most migrated to states for any business. There's also Delaware, which I don't know why Delaware isn't pointed out in this like storyline. But they also have some kind of income tax things that are make them different from everybody else, which is why all these big corporations all like, you know, file to be in Delaware. It's like that's the special thing about Delaware. 
You know who's from there? Our president. It's kind of funny. But I think when it deals with all this stuff, that is an important story. I don't know how much is going to influence how much people are going to deviate from the party line. But I mean, if Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming don't have a state income tax, the IRS storyline really doesn't impact them in any way. That's eight different states. That's 16 different senators. And those senators are not necessarily all Republican. You have places like Alaska, obviously, Lisa Murkowski, they're goofy over there. Nevada, they got two Democrats. Washington State has two Democrats. Like These are all different places where the income tax really makes zero in difference because they don't have one in those states. So I just wanted to bring that in because obviously the storyline, and I mean, me included, because I'm one of those people that would propagate the storyline is that most of the people are never going to vote against the party on very key issues, apart from your few flaky people. But ironically, some of the few flaky people don't have an income tax. So I don't know how much that influences what they do, but it does to some extent. So I just wanted to bring that in because that is a very important part is that if they don't have a state income tax, the IRS abolishing the state income tax really would make zero difference to them because they don't have a state income tax. Just wanted well, to talk federal. about that. That's that's fair. But even then, like I don't personally know how much of a difference it makes in terms of the federal income tax and the personal income tax and the state income tax. But I will say that if your state doesn't have an income tax, your opinions about the income tax are going to be much more different from states that do have an income tax. Like, look at states like California. I'm sure the people that are in California, like, if their entire state economy runs off the income tax because their government does a lot of different stuff, because their government is one of the more bluer governments, I do think that certain states have more impact from this legislation than other states. That's all that's, I'm, my That's fair. Cents. And to your point, it's not like it would totally go away. States like New York would still have their own state income tax. I mean, exactly. New York City, for example, that was a huge deal where people were going to New Jersey, they were going to Connecticut, and the state really came down on them hard to sort of pay New York more money because they were leaving the state and coming in just for work. So that, that was a huge deal. But speaking of New York, Long Island, George Santos. Tyler, he's still in office. What's the deal with that? George Santos, he's still in office. What's been going on? I know we, we gave you guys an update a few weeks ago on George Santos, um, but we're coming back to it because he has decided to stay in office. So uh, now that the House Speaker, uh, House of Representatives, rather, finally is Speaker, the nation's attention is turning back to the fate of a first-term Congress member from Long Island with a fondness for sweaters. After reports that George Santos fabricated parts of his resume surfaced in December, his political fortunes are now on front-page news again. The hallway outside of New York Republic Republican's office has become a, a veritable cable news studio as reporters and cameras stake him out to get fresh images of him. So, like I had mentioned, he, he had basically lied about what was on his resume to get elected for Congress. He said he worked at Goldman Sachs. He didn't. He said he attended a certain college. He did not. So, clearly, we have a case of a con man running on false pretenses, getting elected for that, and now refusing to leave office. Now, this is a very tricky situation because there's only so much that everyone can do. The constituents themselves, I don't think, can do anything. I think that Congress itself is going to have to get a two-thirds majority uh, to basically expel this guy. But if you're a Republican and you're looking at the numbers, maybe that's not something you want to do. Um, so what are you guys' thoughts on this? Do you think he should be allowed to stay in office after completely lying to the people uh, and basically what got him elected was a complete lie? Um, or do you think that it, it's, not, it's a non-issue, he got elected, and he should be able to remain in office? 
Um, let me get critique on this, but I want to briefly say that I listened to NPR this morning on my uh, local local commute, my local drive, and they were interviewing uh, one of the local politicians in his area who's a Republican. And he was like, yeah, I, I would like for the guy to step down. So even the leadership locally doesn't really want this guy in office because he's given everyone a bad it's name. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it is embarrassing. Yeah. But Pratik, what, what are your thoughts on it? He's already in office. People already elected him. You know, does it matter that he lied about who he is and misrepresented himself? See, my personal perspective and my political perspective are different. Obviously, personally, I think that you shouldn't have people like this in office because you're electing a con man to become a member of the government. And that should never happen. But politically speaking, the issue why this all happened is not because of George Santos. George Santos may have been a liar. He may have been a cheat. He may have been a fraud, all that stuff, whatever. In the end of the day, the reason why he was able to become a candidate to run is because the election commissions, the state board, the New York, you know, officials up there in that state, the people of Long Island, the people that are involved in the election, you know, counting, the people that are involved in the setting up of the election, all those different levels of the commission allowed him to become a candidate in the first place. They should have done more, you should have done more due diligence to verify who he is. They should have found out more information about the guy before they allowed him to run. They would do that if it was a Donald Trump why don't they do that when it's some small local candidate like this and I can't say small because he's a member of the U.S. House he's not just like any city council member doing some sketchy stuff he's a member of the U.S. House and the reason he's a member of the U.S. House is the state of New York didn't do enough to verify his identity and figure out who he is this looks or bad the on the Republican themselves. Party too because the Republican Party should have looked at who their candidates are because again my whole theory you as a Republican 95% of the time are not voting for George Santos. You're voting for the red mark inside your ballot. And if the red mark inside your ballot is George Santos, you're voting for George Santos. That could be any Tom, Dick, and Harry, and you'd still vote for the person because he's the Republican running on the ballot. Now, taking, taking that into context, George Santos really is not important. He is a useless character. But he's a Republican. The Republicans are tied in the House. And in the end of the day, the reason he got elected is because the New York State Commission really sucks at their job. And the GOP should have done better, done a better job verifying who he is before they allowed him to be affiliated with his party and run as a Republican candidate. They could have got anybody else, but they chose George Santos. And they should have done more information and should have done more due diligence to verify who he is. But now that he's in, you can't do anything about it. They should have thought about that stuff before they allowed him to run. Now that he won, you can make sure that he gets kicked out in the next time around. You're going to have primaries that start literally a year from now. Literally find a primary contestant to throw George Santos out. Because apart from most of these other Tom, Dick, and Harrys that no one knows in the U.S. House, because they're all either a red mark or a blue mark inside the Congress, George Santos has become very notorious. He is a con man that you elected to be a member of the U.S. House. And the reason he got elected is because of the blunders of both the New York State Commissions, all their, their state boards that are handling the elections, and the Long Island people themselves, that um, in terms of the people that are controlling who are the candidates that would be running from Long Island, and the Republican Party itself that allowed this guy to be the member that affiliated with the party, all those people are at fault that allowed George Santos to run. I don't think 
George Santos. George Santos is a messed up guy. I don't want him because he did lie and he did cheat and he is a fraud that he got elected beyond false pretenses. But in the end of the day, it's not his fault that he got elected. It's all those other in, in no. it's all these other groups' <laughs> fault that allowed George Santos to become the candidate Tyler, of please. the party. Look, Please. Well, it's just like you can't just keep passing the ball. Like, what about the people in this case? I feel like the the people should have some say in whether or not they're able to change the outcome of an election that was basically fraudulent. I think we need to have some line to say where if you're lying about certain things or certain credentials and you're using them in your campaign to get elected, it is unacceptable to have lied about those things. And just to carry forth like nothing's gone on at all. I don't think it's, it's acceptable at all. I feel bad for the people that are part of that district. As you had mentioned, there were failures on many fronts, on the, on the state's front, on the party's front. But at the end of the day, this has happened. And at this point, we need to do something about it. And I don't want the precedent to be that these people just stay in office indefinitely because they got there, they won their ticket, they're good to go. And I think this even, to me, has to do with going to Trump in the presidential election. The whole tax return situation. It's like, should you be elected if you do lie about certain things? And that's a big issue for me because I don't like these demagogues and these people coming out, being able to lie, cheat, and steal, sell snake oil to people, get elected, and then, oh, it wasn't my fault. You guys didn't do enough research on me. I'm a fucking sleazeball over here, but it's okay. You can't do anything about it. That's unacceptable. And I don't believe in the Machiavellian politics of, we got to keep this guy around for his vote. It's like, I, no, is, he's ridiculous stain on your party. Get this dude out of there. You actually have the power to do that in Congress. Call the vote. And I, obviously what I'm saying sounds really Machiavellian, but the fact is, is that the guy did win. When, when, when you say not, it's not my opinion, it's the political opinion, it's always Machiavellian. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a what realist. <laughs> but in terms of George Santos, I think what makes him different is that he did all this stuff and et cetera, et cetera. But he did win. I do think that there has to be some precedent, whether or not like you lie or you don't lie. You did win. And when you win, you win. And if all this stuff about all these things going on about, oh, this guy lied about winning or this guy won and there was all these conspiracy theories that led to him winning, this guy won fair and square. Whether or not we like the guy or don't like the guy and now that we know that he's a fraud, in the Wait, end of the he day, won fair all and square. you can do... Can you really say that? He did. He won fair and square. He did. Even if he lied, fair and square. he won. He won. It's not like somebody else won. And the reason he won is because all these different agencies didn't do enough stuff to verify who he is. Had they done that, he wouldn't have won. So now that he did win, and you know that he is a fraud, what will happen is a year from now, the Republican primaries will start, and they will start trying to figure out who's going to replace George Santos. Obviously, George Santos may be, in, may be an incumbent, but George Santos is so famous at this point that everybody knows that he's a fraud. So he's not going to be looked at as every Tom, Dick, and Harry incumbent, Republican or Democrat. He is a fraudster. So he will be removed probably in the next two years. He won't be there. He probably will be primaried out in the next year. He's really not that important of a story. But what is important in this storyline is But he the is fact critique. He is because they have such a slim majority that his vote matters. Yeah. But even if they didn't have him, they still have a majority even though it's slim. My point is, though, is that they can kick him out of committees, which I know the Republican Party will do. 
They can give him less of a say, which I know the Republican Party will do, and they're going to make him a very ineffective person. That's a why politician. not kick him out? Because why not expunge can. him from office? You, you can. can if you get two thirds of the vote of Congress. You can with the two thirds majority. You can get rid of him, and I'm sure they will try to do something on the Democratic side. The fact is that the Republicans control the House. They're going to try to put the limited, the least amount of attention on George Santos because it makes them look like, like them look stupid because. If the, all these they conditions are failed, they also failed because they didn't verify who he was. And my whole argument is that none of these people matter. That's I'll, the that's the thing. I, none I'll of these disagree. people I, matter. They're all Republican red McCarthy, dots and the they're all Democratic blue dots. All that matters is, is that the people that elected them voted for this idiot because he's a member of the Republican Party. Had he not been a member of the Republican Party and had he been a member of the Green Party or the Socialist Party or like the Capitalist Party, if there is one like that, in the end of the day, because he ran as a Republican, he won. And so if I'm a sophisticated anybody, fraudster, you know, but if I'm a sophisticated fraudster and I can falsify my background and I can just run, get elected on complete false pretense, things that just never have happened, but I could fabricate documents to the show I did, I should be allowed to stay in office. And that's completely okay. And we shouldn't do anything about that I'm because, not you know, you winning numbers. I'm not saying you shouldn't do anything about it. I'm saying that he did win. I mean, you can overthrow the I'm guy. I'm not disputing that he won. I'm just saying if you win... Like, I, this goes down to what is fair in an election? But then, Is it fair to but, not even represent yourself and just fabricate who you are and you get elected because you're charismatic again, and that's okay? Well, Tyler, Tyler what if he was genuine level, I agree with line? you 100%. Well, he could be psych psychopathic. That, he would seem genuine. But see, on, on a personal level, I agree with you. But on a political level, you're setting precedents no matter what you do. Sure, this guy was a fraudster that got elected. So set a good precedent. The reason... Kick him out. The reason why he got elected is because the party and the commissions and the state of New York didn't do a good enough job at verifying who he was. You don't yeah, blame... Yeah, but I, I guess yeah. even that, like, let's say despite all that, yeah. we're setting a precedent now not I doing agree. anything. And I think it's and a bigger stain on the country and our whole political system than to get one extra vote for the Republicans and not and do something if about you it. Remove and they the have the guy, power to do it, and they're not going to. And that that's a huge mark, in my opinion, against the Republicans, and it's deserved. Well, well it's not really a mark I, because you're not going to remember the guy. The only reason Pratik. you're remembering the guy is because he's in the news media. All right. Continue. Can, I, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure the reason why the Speaker of the House matters so much is because the Speaker decides what votes and what bills actually get a vote, right? They kind of organize the agenda. They're like, okay, we're going to dedicate time to, you know, bill number one and not bill number two, right? That's that's my understanding. Does that sound correct? So DeSantis, or what? what's, what's this guy's name? No, no, no. George Santos. Santos. George Santos voted for McCarthy. He was one of he's part of the yeah. reason why he won. So for McCarthy as speaker to then hear some bill saying or to hear a vote, a motion to kick this guy out. It I wouldn't don't think you would hear it. Point. I don't so, even think it would matter. With Tyler's theory, they could get rid of him. Now he's in. Now McCarthy's in. What difference does it make? Once you're in the speaker position, how many speakers you're, have you ever seen removed from being a speaker? But it looks bad. It it looks it bad looks that's for bad, a lot of reasons. It, like the party's just going to look These terrible. Are, these are small stories. These are not stories that people are going to remember three years from now. These are stories that are gonna, people are going to remember for the next three weeks. After that, George Santos is just a number. 
every number in the house or in the senate mainly in the house probably because in the senate you don't have that same level but in the house you're a number that can be replaced you're really not that important if the party wants to primary you and wants to back some other candidate running against you in the end of the day the party whatever the party backs is probably going to win that's what that's the thing we talk too much about democracy and all this stuff but in the end of the day the party does matter a lot the party influences how the democracy functions because how you can only you trust who options. the party picks when they pick a fraudster how they, can you every, trust their no, judgment now? think about this tyler every every party but there are only two parties they both have a history of choosing fraudsters they've all picked people at some point in their history that have been problematic or bad candidates just fair and they've won let's talk recent history let's say past 20 years who, who compares have, to this i mean not with this i don't know exactly off the top of my head because i'm sure there probably was but so just significant like, enough no, no, in the past Tyler, 20 years that's my never, argument though happened. just like george santos if there were other were other people that fabricated who they are you really don't know and that's my theory is that this is a story that's gonna last three weeks in five months from now, people are gonna forget who George Santos even well, was. We'll that's see. We're going point. in circles here. We'll we'll see if that's the case. But let me talk about someone who's actually stepping down and just getting out of town. So in the Senate, Republican Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska is stepping down to become the president of the University of Florida. Now he's one of seven Republicans in the Senate who voted to impeach Trump for inciting January six. So he's being replaced by former Governor Pete Ricketts. Of Nebraska, who's going to serve as the interim Republican senator for two years. They're going to hold elections for a permanent position in 2024. Now, who is Pete Ricketts? Who's this new senator? Well, he's the son of Joe Rick Ricketts, who founded TD Ameritrade. He's a billionaire. Pete and his siblings co-owned the Chicago Cubs, the baseball team. And as Nebraska governor, Ricketts threatened to withhold $100 million in federal COVID funding to local governments if they required face masks in government buildings like courtrooms. So overall, you know, this guy, he's coming out. And yeah, the party's, the party's replacing him. Fritik, what are you cracking up at? nothing keep going the way i structured the story all right yes. for full transparency usually pratik ends up structuring the stories but this week i'm like okay let me do some research on this guy let me just put in some points so those were the main points i had he's the son of a billionaire he owns a baseball team and yeah, he tried to deny fact. a bunch like of funding like that's that's who the guy is you know and he's a shoo-in for trump basically where like he supported the president a lot whereas for ben sass he didn't so you know it's sort of the party I granted he's stepping down himself, but like really the writing's been on the wall for a lot of these Republicans who voted against him. Like, uh, whatchamacallit, Murkowski, right? She got totally trashed in her primary. She's out. She's an she's a nothing going forward. She's not gonna be in. Not so Murkowski, a lot of, you mean Liz Cheney. Oh, Cheney, Cheney, there. sorry. I ah oh, man, I keep miss, yeah, missing. She's gonna up. be there forever. Murkowski. Man. She's been there for like Dude, the last Murkowski's 20 some been years. just a permanent same thing with Grassley. <laughs> Grassley's like ninety almost. Like the man's never gonna retire. But, but anyway, Pratik um, Tyler, what do you think about has, this? Hasn't this? Didn't we hear about the story a few months ago? Is it? That yeah, it's just we did. No, but this now, is like actually this. actually happening now. Is is the deal? And the thing is that um, also Ricketts, he it's not like he actually lost in being governor. He was the governor of Nebraska for two terms, and then you're not allowed to run again. So he literally just got out of being governor. Like he's fresh off being governor. The new governor was sworn in like a week ago or something. Like, this is very new. So, like, the second he got out of the governor position, 
he's now becoming a senator because he's being appointed. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So this isn't unprecedented. You've had senators like Rick Scott that were once governors of states like Florida that become senators again. And Nick wrote this story. It's, it's so funny. It's just the way he phrased it. See, I usually do it, but I usually try to point out all angles. Like, this is what this side feels. This is what the other side feels. But I will say when it comes to, um, you know, Pete Ricketts, he was a governor. So it's not like he was just any Tom, Dick, and Harry that they just decided that they were going to throw in that throw in the Senate position. He's not just any ordinary billionaire. He's a billionaire that has been a Son former of a governor for two terms. I think that's very important because this guy might actually be one of the more qualified people to become senator. He probably is, funnily enough. As an interim. Yeah. Now, what is weird about all this stuff is that Ben Sass was going to step down. Most times anybody ever steps down from being a senator or being a house rep, they usually have a special election if there is like a, if it happens in an oddball time. House doesn't usually happen because they only got two years, but in most senatorial elections where a Senate does step down, senator does step down, they have a special election. The weird thing about Ben Sass is Ben Sass, we all knew was going to step down, but he decided to step down after the new government started. And that led to some weird precedent where he gets replaced by an interim person. Generally speaking, it doesn't happen all that much. It happened with Jeff Flake before, but it doesn't happen that often. Usually you just have a special election and they get replaced. There has to be political reasonings to why this may have happened, but I don't really see a Nebraska having a Democratic senator anyway. So it's a strange story. Now, Ben Sass was well known as being one of the most critical people of Donald Trump. I remember Ben Sass. whenever I was in the Senate, he was one of the most charming senators that you ever saw. Like, you know, when you picture a senator, Ben Sass was that guy. Like you walk down an aisle and you're like, man, that guy's a senator. He just looked the part. Problem is nowadays, no one likes people that look the part. They like people that are actually going to do action. That's what hurt Ben Sass. Whether or not we like Ben Sass as Republicans or we don't like Ben Sass, that's a big storyline around Ben Sass. Are you rebranding all talk, no action to all looks, no kind action? Kind of, kind of. But I will say, I did like Ben Sass. Ben Sass was a very good, charming speaker. He was like Cory Booker on the Democratic side. These are people that when you hear them speak, you're like, man, that guy sounds good. I don't care what he says, but whatever he's saying, that sounds like some legit stuff. Those are the people that you want to see in the Senate because they sound charismatic. They sound like they're a politician. If these people become president, like apart from the presidents that we have been getting nowadays, these are charismatic people. It's not like rewind button Barack Obama. It's not like Donald Trump with all these goofy hand gestures acting like he's in some kind of, you know, whatever. And Joe Biden who forgets what he's saying when he's on stage. These are people that are like the poster boy presidential candidates that never win because they're just poster boys. That's Ben They Sass. win sometimes. And I think... When, if he gets replaced by somebody like Pete Ricketts, Ben Sass had been an incumbent for many years. He got replaced by a former governor. In the end of the day, with Nebraska, they got a lot of qualified people being in office because they've been there for a while. But I do think with Ben Sass, that's his biggest problem was just that he never was able to get in line with the party. But in terms of this party voting record, it was always the same. It was just the way people thought about Ben Sass. And that's what led to his basic demise from politics is that, you know, Ben Sass was never able to get that same level of support. He may have had all these goals and ideas on what he wanted to do. And then he just became a number inside the U.S. Senate. 
And he never did anything to differentiate himself. He was never like a Ron DeSantis of the Senate. He was just Ben Sass, the guy that doesn't like Trump, but votes in favor of everything that the Republican Party does. And in the end of the day, he's critical of everything, but his words never lived up to his actions. That's Ben Sass. So I feel like he's like that politician that is a politician when you think of a politician. Hence, Ben Sass is no longer there. There you go. Sassy Ben Sass. Well, hey, before we close out the show, let's just touch on the, the Brazilian incident that happened this past week. We can maybe expand on it next week, but I just want to introduce it for everyone that's listening. So um, this week, a far right, a former Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro, was admitted to a hospital in Florida on Monday with stomach pains as 1,500 of his supporters were rounded up in Brasilia after storming key buildings in the capital over the weekend. President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, a leftist who took office on January 1st after defeating Bolsonaro in an October election, very contentious election, very close, vowed to bring those responsible to justice. He accused rioters of trying to overthrow democracy and questioned why the army had not discouraged calls for a military coup outside of their barracks. Um, as far as I know, there was no violence or at least bloodshed during this event, which is nice, but it's kind of reminiscent of what happened in January 6th in America, where you have all these people storming the Capitol. So this is like a new trend that's found in the world. And we were talking about uh, the Brazilian election and how you have the far right Bolsonaro versus the far left uh, De Silva. And now we're seeing some of that play out in real time. I'm just hopeful and and thankful that it hasn't been bloody up to this point. But what do you guys think are the consequences of this? Um, what are your thoughts on the situation overall? So I think overall, I mean, it it definitely paints, it gives De Silva an excuse to be pretty hardcore on kicking out former Bolsonaro supporters. And he's quoted as yeah. saying that. He said, quote, nobody who's suspected of being a hardcore Bolsonarista <laughs> can be allowed to remain yeah. in the palace. How can I have someone at the door of my office who might shoot me? But he also said that the, the defense minister, He's Jose okay. Musio, will remain in his post, telling reporters that he trusts him. So, I don't know. It's it's like, eh, you know, we got to kick people out. But at the same time, you know, he's not kicking everyone out. So, I don't know. I just think it gives him grounds to, you know, take more action than if this never happened. Because the thing is, like, when... January 6th happened in the United States. It's not like Biden is going to be like, oh, because of January 6th, I'm really going to go after Republicans. But in Brazil, it's going to be a little different. It's like, oh, because this happened, now I'm going to go after the supporters. You have an excuse. So I, I just think it, it's the excuse. I mean, hopefully it doesn't take it too far, but it gives him all the ammunition he needs politically to make big changes. And when you deal with Brazilian politics, as I've talked about before, these are like politics of extremes. We don't have that kind of stuff in the U.S. Like whether or not you like certain Republicans or whether or not you like certain Democrats. In the end of the day, like even your extreme Democrats and your extreme Republicans are nothing like the people and the politicians that you get in Brazil. The, most of these politicians in Brazil, including Lula da Silva, had been a president in the past. They've all had corruption scandals left, right, and center. They have a bunch of stuff that happens. He got replaced by Dilma Rousseff, who got um, kicked out of office. And eventually, um, what is his name? Bolsonaro came into office. He also had his levels of corruption to another Wazi. And then he got replaced by the former guy that had been there before. These are all, these are all extreme people. Lula da Silva is a socialist, Bolsonaro is a fascist, but in the end of the day, the supporters, the people in politics inside these inside countries like Brazil, these are like democracies that are violent. 
Like, they're not anything that we really see in our, like, the U.S. Everybody tries to compare us and them. It doesn't make any sense. Because if that this been the other way, had Bolsonaro won the election and Lula da Silva lost, the same stuff would have happened where there would have been a bunch of rioters and it would have been bad and people would have died and they would have shot each other. The same stuff happens. There's nothing special about one side or another. And that's my point is, like, when it deals with certain countries like that, these are your extreme countries. Like, if countries like in Russia, where Putin just kills off his opposition or like tries to poison his opposition, if that happens, in places like Brazil, they literally, whoever wins, there's going to be a riot. And you know there's going to be major protests. You know there's going to be a bunch of bloodshed. And you know people are going to go to jail because the other side doesn't like them. Like, that's what's going to happen. I just think that we got to understand that when it deals with when we talk about Brazilian politics, because that's important. I'm not saying that either side is better or worse. I'm saying that both sides in the end of the day are equally bad. And this is what happens when you have equally bad sides is there's a bunch of bloodshed and people die and people get arrested. And then after they get arrested, they become martyrs for the cause. And then in the next election, they come back and they were like, oh, we got arrested. Hence, we need to run again. That's what happens. Yeah. But it does it does show how inherently unpredictable politics is in general, and how forming a stable institution is almost a, a miracle. So we got to be thankful for, for what we do have in the U.S. But uh, I think the infrastructure protects us against some of those far right, far left people. Nick, I guess a closing point I want to add is like this was called months ago. Like for anyone listening to coverage of the okay, election October, yeah. when it was happening. Like, it was very widely called right after Bolsonaro lost. His supporters straight up said, like, if they can do this in the United States, they did it in Brazil, we're going to go riot and make sure that they don't take our country away from us. Like, pretty much what Trump said. Like, that's what they cited is like, oh, they took the election from Trump? We're not going to let that happen here. So they're just emulating what already happened in the United States. Well, that's States. an excuse. I, I think they probably wanted yeah. to do that anyway. They, oh, I'm sure they wanted to. Though. I'm and, sure they wanted to, but... And Nick likes to bring this stuff up. We it still brings don't some know legitimacy if about. Trump incited the riot. Had we known that Trump incited the riot and January 6th happened because of Trump, Trump would be behind bars right now. They have a January well, 6th probe. Deniability. It's been two years. We don't need to get You're into still that. fighting it away, but I just wanted to bring that you in. You sure you don't want to record another hour? I mean, we could get into it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. We'll save it for next why, why are we called Politicana? We should be called January 6th. Oh it's an God. hour Anyways, and six. guys. It's like January 6th, so you know. <laughs> well, hey, guys. We appreciate you listening as always. That was episode 112 of Politicana. We will catch you next week. Later.